Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of College and Career Coffee Chats with Delicia. I'm your host, Delicia Larcón, your resident hype tía, or your fellowship fairy godmother. However you would like to describe me as, I'm here for you. This is another episode of interviews and guest speakers coming in to chat with me about being a first generation, how to navigate imposter syndrome, how to navigate the world uh, today in the work environment, the application process, the undergraduate admissions, and the graduate admissions process. We're here together to chat about it, to peel back the layers, to peel back the curtain behind what happens in higher education, to really provide the skills and the tools necessary to succeed in whatever that goal is for you. So make sure you have your coffee, your energy drink, or tea, whatever you want to listen in on this conversation between my guests, my colleagues, and my friends. And make sure you stay tuned so you can get access to all the free goodies and the gifts that I have created for you as it relates to training, about scholarships, about resume writing, about cover letter, anything that you need in the process, I've created some gifts for you so you can download those instantly and have access to the workbooks and the trainings. And stay tuned if you would like to join the Facebook group and the community to connect with everyone. So. Without further ado, let's listen in on our guests and our conversations. Cheers. All right. Hello, everyone who is listening. I want to welcome a very important and fun guest, Cesar Quesada. We are here with the College and Career Coffee Chat podcast, YouTube video, um, and we met through uh, Facebook group First Gen uh, Professionals. And this idea flourished because I wanted to connect with other professionals so they can tell their stories as, as to what is happening in real time for students to learn not only from my experiences in, in higher education, but from their experiences as well. So Cesar is here and he, I'm gonna give a little background as to who he is so you all know what he's all about, what we're gonna talk about and hopefully you can ask questions at the end um, and we will get back to you if you have any follow-ups as to what we're going to talk about today. So he is a coordinator for the Multicultural Center at the University of North Texas and a student in the Masters of Education program. He is a first-generation college student and DACA recipient, a dreamer who graduated from Texas A&M University Commerce in May of 2019. Cesar Quesada is a coordinator for the Multicultural Center at the University of North Texas and a student in the Master's of Education program right now. So he's going to talk about that today, hopefully. And he currently serves as the Vice President for UNETE, the Latino Faculty and Staff Alliance at, on UNT's campus. He also serves as Vice President of Membership for the Texas Association of Chicanos in Higher Education. CACHE State Board and was previously a regional co-representative. So as you can see, Cesar has so many great experiences and I want to highlight, if you can see here, his t-shirt, we, we are all dreamers and de defense DACA, which is something so important that we have to talk about in today's political climate, election is coming up and um, just as the fabric of immigration in this um, in this country, right? So 
I want Cesar to talk about today. He's going to hit on a couple of themes. We're going to talk about higher education, how to navigate college as a first generation student, how does DACA and Dreamer um, status affect you as a student and then later as a young professional. And then we're going to connect uh, a little bit about mental health and what that looks like in the uh, higher education college uh, years and community, but also now as young professionals and as a male Latino. So those are kind of the big theme topics we're going to talk about. I hope you will stay tuned to listen. So sis, now I'm going to start stop talking because I want Cesar to be um, the main um, person speaking. He is going to share his story with us today because I think it's important to um, spread his story and his experiences. So Cesar, take it away. Oh, well, thank you, Delicia, for having me today. It's, it's a pleasure and an honor to be here speaking to you all. Well, yeah, like you said, I am a, a first-generation student, DACA, documented professional now. So a lot of different uh, views and perspectives that I'm, I, I want to talk to you about, especially for those uh, students that are struggling and, and going through all this difficult time, and especially the political climate um, that we're going through. I think it's, it's important for them to have somebody to look up to or for somebody to help them out. Uh, be able to navigate uh, what is higher education because at the end of the day whether you're documented whether you're a full citizen whether you're undocumented student um, if you're a first generation student we're all going to face the same struggles um, at the end of the day so um, yeah uh, like you like you mentioned I graduated from AM Commerce in 2019 um, right after then I started working as an admissions counselor for Tarleton State University in the Waco area and then after a few months in, in Tarleton, I transitioned over to UNT and I am now the, the coordinator um, for the Multicultural Center down here. Um, there's been a lot of initiatives, a lot of programmings that we've been doing, but one of the most important things uh, since I've got here that we've done is called Latin Dreams. That's a uh, Latino male mentorship program. Um, so we have about 15 students right now that are mentees and two mentors. Uh, for them, and we just take them through a bunch of different topics. Uh, I mean, we've done, we've done mental health programming, we've done resume workshops, we've done um, alcohol and drug abuse awareness uh, trainings for them to just be able to get acclimated to the university and feel like they're at home, feel like they have a sense of community uh, within our group, and just honestly have them see somebody at a staff level at the university that they can count on. Because um, for me, whenever I was going through AM Commerce, um, there were very few individuals that looked like me um, at a staff level, uh, very few people that I could connect with. So me being there, um, it's, it's a huge help for them. And then I'm able to connect them to the rest of our uh, Latino and um, Latinx, Hispanic staff and, and faculty on campus, especially being now the newly appointed vice president uh, for the faculty and staff group. So. Just li all, everything has uh, shaved um, towards getting me now and uh, just being able to work with my DACA students, undocumented students, with our first generation students on campus, um, doing UndocuAlli trainings on campus, mm -hmm. uh, all of this, I think it's huge uh, to evolve in our community, especially in our university, since we have just become a Hispanic servant institution. Um, we need to have those resource resources for them. We can't just be bringing in the students and not having those resources, those talks with them, we need to be able to to provide what they need and what they're coming for um, seeking at UNT. So that's a little bit about what I do. 
I love that. And we forgot to cheers at the beginning. So this is a coffee chat because I love coffee, but everyone can bring their tea, coffee, energy drink, whatever they want in this um, chat. So if you see us like uh, drinking or hear some slurping, that's what's happening. Because the goal for this is to be an informal uh, organic chat between two professionals helping kids in college and uh, high school students moving to college. So uh, going back to uh, DocuAlly and training on uh, campus, how important do you think it is for students coming in as a first year student, sophomore, and, and high school students who are being recruited maybe to go to university to physically see a Latino person on campus, like that representation and that visibility, how um, has that shaped um, your undergrad experience, your master's level experience, and now your professional experience? I think honestly, that's what's going to make or break uh, your your instance or your stay at the university. Um, if you come in, let's say orientation, and you don't see anybody that looks like you, you're at the, even if there are people um, at those levels that look like you, but if you don't see them being engaged, being around orientation, talking to you, seeking out to give you that information, if you don't see them, you're going to create that, um, I guess, thought of, oh, well, there's nobody on campus, so you're not going to want to reach out to anybody. You're not going to want to uh, try to look for resources because, oh, orientation, I didn't see anybody, so there must not be anybody. Um, so you'll close yourself off um, to that, and, and it happens a lot, I think, especially for our Latino males. We have seen the retention or retention rates drop drastically um, mm. because they don't see people that look like them. They don't see any other males in higher education. Um, there's very few uh, Latino males. Well, I, mean, I guess males overall in the higher education <laughs> yeah, field. Yeah, that is true. <laughs> um, so not seeing a Latino male in there, it, it, it gives them a little bit more fear because they can open up to a guy, uh, to a male about different stuff that they would be able to or that they feel more comfortable to than they would a female uh, staff or faculty member. So mm -hmm. not seeing that on campus um, closes them off. And again, I think uh, we go back to to, I guess, history and however we were raised, um, males aren't supposed to ask for help. Males are, mm -hmm. are thought to to be the the machos in the family, be the ones that they take care of everything at home. So they feel weak um, if they go out reaching for help. So that's another mm -hmm. thing that, that just is a detrimental for them because um, the help's out there. There's people that are always going to be willing to help you. If you don't seek out that help, if you don't look for it, it's never going to get to you. Um, so I think having somebody right from the first day that you get to campus, seeing that, that there's another guy that's made it, um, I think it's huge for them because that, that'll mm -hmm. just drag them through to you. And I mean, you can just whatever, little by little, obviously, uh, opening them up with them, trying to talk to about different experiences, different programming. Um, for example, the mentorship program that we have, just being able to connect them to other guys. Um, it's huge for them and, and honestly it'll make it or break it um, at the university level and obviously for females it's the same way. Mm -hmm. um, I know females though are a little bit more um, capable, let's say that, uh, of going and reaching out for help. They don't, mm -hmm. they, they don't feel that um, I guess type of weaknesses or, or feel like they're being less than if they go out for help. They, what they're there for, they know what they're there for which is get their education so they're going to do whatever it is that they can um, in order to get that. So that's why we've seen that difference between uh, retention and graduation rates between our Latino and Latina males, females and males. 
Absolutely. I think you hit such an important topic to deconstruct. Maybe we can spend some time chatting about um, what it means to be right, a Latino man or a Latino woman and how we show up differently in higher education spaces, especially for first gen. We first may not know how to even navigate this system. So we're against that obstacle. And then we're against maybe cultural uh, nuances and new uh, gender roles that we're accustomed to seeing at home. And then we get to college and you're like, wait a minute, this is so different. There's so many things happening at the same time. And the, you're in fight or flight mode and then you retreat and that mm -hmm. really affects retention. So as a higher ed professional, I saw that a lot in uh, black men and uh, Latino students. And I would spend so much time trying to connect them with other staff members. There was few on campus um, that they were not in my department, right, as academic counselor, but they were in maybe other departments like in IT or they were the dean or other like professors. So I'd, I'd try to make that connection or else um, they would really struggle to see that support system, even though I was there for them as their counselor. Mm -hmm. Like you just mentioned, it's so different to have those different gender role understanding of what it means to grow up Latino or Black in um, the U.S., right? So I think that's so important. And then uh, number two, um, how do we continue to deconstruct that it's okay to ask for help for both men and women, right? Mm -hmm. And that talks a lot about mental health, right? And I think on Friday or Saturday was Mental Health Awareness Day. Yeah. Um, and I saw a lot of great posts about that, um, but how do we continually have that conversation every single day to make sure people know that it's okay to not be okay and it's okay to ask for help? And who do you do that? Uh, who do you ask for help? Um, who do you go to to ask for help? Um, so what have been some strategies you learned through your lived experiences and uh, being in this space in higher ed now as a professional mm -hmm. to navigate that, not only for yourself, but like for the support for students? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think for me, I'm, I can be an example for, for those students. Um, whenever I was going to my undergrad, I struggled um, asking for help. Um, I didn't know much. Again, I'm a first generation student going into this. Um, all my, my goal was just to make it to the university. That was it. Like, I didn't know how or um, how I was going to do it or how I was going to go through those four or five years of um, classes and graduating. So I never really asked for help um, until there was just this one time where I literally was about to drop out and needed somebody. Um, I had a mentor uh, with my mentorship program down there at, at NM Commerce. And that helped me see that if there's somebody there to help you or somebody to guide you is super helpful. Um, and I think also now being a staff member or being working with, with students, you have to start with yourself. Um, I always th talked about mental health um, whenever I was vice pre president of the mentorship program at A&M Commerce. Um, I did presentations on mental health um, and how to change that aspect of, on, our, on our Latino males, but I wasn't uh, doing it on my own. I wasn't taking care of my own mental health. I wasn't taking care of myself in that manner. So whenever I got into this position, which is mostly working with students um, in the student affairs area, division and equity, um, division down here at UNT, made me understand that in order for me to help them, I needed to help myself first. Mm -hmm. um, so I ended up doing, uh, helping my mental health. I ended up getting a counselor for myself 
and now I'm able to, to, to get my students to either open up a little bit more or just even share my experiences with them for them to see that you can be vulnerable. You can be a man and you can be uh, all of these uh, other social or social uh, norms that they put us or social tags that they put on men uh, for, for going into to, to mental health or counselors or whatever the case may be. You can be a get you you are male. You can go ask for help. You can be there. Um, you need to take care of that first. Um, and it's been huge for them. Um, like I said, I think we've done a few mental health trainings uh, at the beginning of the semester, and then we have a couple more coming uh, before the end of the semester. So just being able to connect with them like that. Um, but I, I think definitely as a staff member, it starts with yourself. Because um, if you're not able to help yourself, you're at the end of the day, you're not going to be able to help others um, go through their struggles. Absolutely. That goes back to um, Yala Vansa. I don't know if people follow her, but she says you can't pour from an empty cup. You have to have your cup runneth over and whatever mm -hmm. is runneth over, right, is to give out to the community and to your family. And um, I think that's a really hard uh, lesson and a really hard learning experience to um, be able to put ourselves first, help ourselves first in mental health capacity health um, and like physical health and emotional mm -hmm. well-being and mm -hmm. then realize that that gives us the strength to then go help our community or, and be better allies and be better um, family members in our larger like ecosystem right with our latino community we're very uh, stereotypically close to our immediate family and then to our larger family if we're talking about like my family's from paraguay so my family in paraguay um and wherever um, other people's family members are. So that's a really uh, good uh, tool to learn early on in higher ed and in undergrad. So you mm -hmm. build those tools with therapy, uh, with support systems, and you build your own like toolbox so that you can navigate the world moving forward. So that's a great nugget that uh, Cesar has shared with us about, I, he said, uh, in order to help them, I have to help myself. So tweet, tweet, if you like to tweet, friends. Um, that's a great uh, Cesar Quesada quote right now. And uh, before we go to the next topic, I want um, Cesar to define DACA and Dreamer in your own words and your on your own terms, because we see a lot of terms floating around the internet and people want to appropriate maybe the terms and take hostage of what it means. Um, but I like to give this space, this digital space for actual DACA and dreamers to uh, speak their truth and what that means to them. So um, if you could share uh, with us what that means to you and how you define it. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I think for me, dreamers, um, it's not just those that have DACA or deferred action. Uh, which is formally called dreamers are those that are here, uh, whether it be legally or illegally, um, whether they have a DACA or they're on DACA or they're citizens, whatever the case may be. It's just that term started back in the early 2000s, um, whenever our Hispanics and Latinos uh, started getting into college a little bit more and there were not as many resources. There was going to be a uh, bill called the DREAM Act um, that was established back then. So I think that just took that term of dreamers um, and, and stuck it into our basically our Hispanic and Latino community. Um, since DACA came out, um, a lot of DACA or most of the DACA uh, recipients are dreamers. Um, so I think those two terms have always been connected because of that. But uh, there are two, there are two separate um, different things. So for DACA, 
um, as any, obviously any undocumented uh, individual that got here um, that was able to receive this aid uh, whenever President Obama was in place. So um, it's been hard to, to manage that. I mean, it's, it's something that you have to renew two, every two years. Well, now every, every year um, with the new, new regulations, it's a lot of money that you have to put into it. Um, to renew it, and it's honestly, it's it's uh, a blessing and a curse, I guess we could call it. Um, it's it's great because you're able to work and you're able to to provide some type of income um, and be here legally uh, working or going to school. But at the end of the day, it's a curse because all that money that you're trying to do or trying to get to pay for college, which 78% of Dreamers are in college or have graduated uh, from a program already. Um, we're spending it every year, every two years and in, in trying to renew our, our mm -hmm. program, our DACA. I mean, it's not cheap um, to, to renew it, especially for a college student. Mm -hmm. uh, we're barely making it by um, with paying tuition, fees, housing, all of that good stuff. And then on top of that, I'm adding another two grand almost um, with legal fees and stuff like that. Um, every two years. Well, I guess now it's going to be every year. So adding another two grand every year that's it's difficult but uh, like I said it's a it's a blessing and a curse we take it as a blessing because we're here we're able to, to continue our dreams we're able to to be in spaces where we normally wouldn't be uh, without this program and honestly we're just making it uh, the best that we can and hoping for mm -hmm. the best uh, come November so we'll see mm -hmm. we'll see what happens then yes very important to vote my friends if you are listening um, I know there's a lot of uh, issues with voting and um, the, the electoral college and all changes that need to happen. Um, but if you have access to voting, make sure you are um, exercising that right and that privilege. Um, and I want to put into context what Cesar just shared, like nearly two grand every year or every two years with the new regulations um, going through this uh, process of reapplying on top of maybe working one to two jobs, on mm. top of navigating uh, first gen uh, college experience, maybe at a PWI, predominantly white institution, or any institution in the US, on top of uh, having this status, that's a lot of different, uh, I don't want to say baggage, uh, like a weight, like uh, like different bags of with rocks on them on your back that you're navigating as a student and young, pro young professional. It's like, let's take a moment and like create that image in our brain because I think some people forget that um, that truly affects students' mental health and mm -hmm. how they show up in the classroom, how they go to activities on campus, how they navigate um, their experience with research, with talking to professors that could, they, they could connect with to build a community to then apply to grad school, or how that affects them having the opportunity to even get an internship that helps them build their resume. Like, if you're listening, I want you to pause and just really process that and think about that because I was born in the US, so I hold citizen privilege, right? As if we're talking about an identity and intersections of our identity, I never had to deal with that. I have citizenship. So I can take one bag out of my off my back and how much lighter I am in comparison to those students. And the resiliency that they build through that, and they're still thriving, right? 
Cesar is here talking to us about his experience in higher education. There are people working at different corporate companies, others in higher ed. So I just want people to like really think about that and process that because that's really um, an important aspect and fabric of our community, our society, the US, the history and the narrative of the United States. Um, so if you're listening, I want you to really process that. I think it's so important to understand the nuance of that uh, lived experience in that day-to-day um, -day life um, and then reflect on what that citizenship intersection really connects to you uh, in your privilege if you hold that identity. Um, so um, another thing I wanted to um, connect about is how did you find ways to engage on campus as a student to uh, move forward and thrive and really pull yourself out of this feeling of wanting to drop out? Because I think that's a very uh, new, normal feeling. Even now mm -hmm. with students who are virtually learning and are feeling really disconnected from their classmates, from their, from their university and from professors, uh, I've read that a lot of students are re feeling really, really lonely. So we didn't go, uh, or I personally didn't go through college in a pandemic, so I cannot um, relate to those types of feelings. Um, and so um, what are, so I guess a two part question. One part is how did you get yourself out of that feeling and, and uh, become super successful, you're doing your master's right now. Um, and then now as a higher ed professional, how do you uh, connect with your students virtually? Yeah, so that's, that's um, very, that's very nuanced. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good question. Um, but no, um, I think for me, like I said, whenever I started uh, at the university, not knowing anything, I was just going through the motions. Um, definitely being involved with the mentorship program helped me a little bit. Um, but I guess it didn't necessarily, I it didn't necessarily hit till probably my junior, senior year in college. Um, I guess being in, in spaces that I was um, as vice president of the program, president of the program my senior year, uh, being able to be at conferences and present here and there, going to Boston mm -hmm. for a conference and all this stuff. I had that imposter syndrome still. Um, mm -hmm. I was uh, I was not supposed to be there. Uh, that's, again, going back to, to history or higher education was not created for a Hispanic uh, undocumented male to be thriving in. Um, it was, again, predominantly white uh, for a white male. So I think I still carry that imposter syndrome because, again, I was uh, in Boston. I was in these conferences. All I was seeing was white folks, uh, females, some Latino males. And that, I mean, I, it carried a, a, a huge weight on me because um, I was trying to do my best in order to, to help the students that, that I was mentoring at the university and continue the program going. But at the same time, that was still in the back of my head, like, we're not supposed to be here. Uh, at one point or the other, we're, this program's going to run out of funding. We're going to run out of whatever. And they're going to cut us out and kick us out like they would because this is not a space where we're normal. Um, it's not normal for us to be in. Um, so I don't know. I think it's just yeah, going through all of it helped me realize that we are supposed to be there. Um, mm -hmm. Creating mentors um, at different state institutions, at different uh, conferences. There was a, a there's a conference in Austin at the University of Austin every August that we go that I go to 
it's a men of, it's a men of color conference. Uh, so just being surrounded by so many African Americans and Latino males um, in higher education at this uh, one of the biggest institutions in Texas was huge for me. Um, I think just being able to see that at that level um, made me kind of understand a little bit more like, yeah, we are supposed to be here. This is what we're supposed to be doing. Let's continue on and, and continue give, giving those resources and continue helping our students. Um, so I think that's honestly what helped me get through through wanting to drop out because again, I, I was there was a lot of stuff that I was going through junior, senior year, but um, I focused a lot on my mentorship program. I'm, I focused a lot on the guys that I was mentorship, mentorship mentoring. Um, and I didn't want to be that guy, that mentor that just left them behind, you know, like I didn't want to drop out and just be like, okay, so you guys go do whatever now since I'm not longer there. So I continued, I mean, I fought and struggled and, and like I said, reached out to different people, um, eventually reached out uh, about my mental health part mm -hmm. to, to deal with those other uh, factors that I was dealing with other than being in school and, and the imposter syndrome. So honestly, just reaching out to people, just finding somebody that you feel comfortable with, whether it be a staff member, a faculty member, whether it be a student, um, a fellow student on campus that, that you're just able to open up with um, and they give you a different perspective. Um, I think that's the bigger part of it, just seeing things from a different angle. Because um, for me, again, I was seeing things um, as we were not, we're, we didn't belong there, but whenever I went to talk to our white or uh, color staff or faculty, they're like, you guys are doing amazing stuff. Like this is an amazing program uh, for our mentorship or for our minority males and stuff like that. So that changed my perspective a little bit that we are doing something that's useful, that we are doing uh, something that's going to be helpful and beneficial for, for more generations to come. Um, that program's on their sixth year now, seventh year, oh, I believe. Wow. Um, and I was one of the initial uh, mentees. So my very freshman year, I was one of the inaugural class of mentees in that program. And they're still going. I mean, uh, we, got, they got, we got nationally recognized during my senior year because of the work that we were doing. Um, I got to be able to present in uh, different conferences because of that. And I, was, I got the ability to go to Boston. Uh, for being the president of the program and, and be able to, to bring this perspective in this uh, type of mentorship program and a predominantly white uh, conference, I guess. Because um, yeah, I was one of the very few Latinos and African-American uh, males out there. So that's what helped me just get through it, just being having that mentorship and having the, the guys relying on me. Uh, because my struggles weren't going to be their struggles anymore. Uh, whatever I was going through, I was going to help them so they didn't have to struggle and have to go through that. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's just what kept me going. Um, and for me, I think a lot of it was um, also that they actually were telling me that, that that was helping them. Um, there were a few conferences that I took my mentee and without not script or anything, he, he thanked me and thanked the rest of the mentors in the program. Uh, for helping him, for helping him um, through all the struggles in his first mm -hmm. two years in college. So that was even more impactful to me because I'm seeing that change. I'm seeing an actual impact that we're having or that I'm having, mm -hmm. uh, which automatically just changed my mi mindset and just told me to keep going. Um, mm -hmm. And I did, and I made it to be a, a professional now at UNT, and I created the same program like that, which is our line of dreams. Um, and now... Um, as a staff member, I just make myself available. Um, I think one of the first things that I told the guys 
um, whenever I brought them in, I'm like, you know what, here's my cell phone number, here's my email, here's all my contact information. If you need me at whatever time of day, just give me a text, shoot me a message, whatever you guys need to give me a call, I'm there for you guys. Um, Cause at first I didn't have that person to go to. I didn't have anybody that, that told me that I'm here for you. I'm here for you to, uh, to help you struggle or navigate any struggles. Um, mm -hmm. And I think be, them seeing that, that there's somebody that cares for them uh, whenever they're here mm -hmm. at our institution is just huge. I mean, I try to meet with them uh, once a week via, via Zoom uh, or whatever. Um, I tell them to come by my office whenever they're on campus. If I'm at the office, just come, say hi, mm -hmm. uh, chit chat, whatever. Um, I'm always sending in messages on the group me as well, just trying to check up on them. Um, right. And then I'll, also being a little bit more intentional, creating those one-on-one -on -one meetings going over grades, going over um, their life on campus, what they're doing and stuff like that. Cause I've heard it already. They're like, oh, well, I just uh, stay in my dorm and just go to class online. Mm -hmm. Or uh, I don't even do anything other than, than, than maybe go eat lunch or dinner or whatever at the cafeteria. That's whenever I come in, I'm like, okay, so we're gonna do this. We're gonna try to go here or, or come to my office, come to the multicultural center. You can do homework there. Um, mm -hmm. If not, come to the union, come to the these other spaces. Just be out here uh, with different people, different folks that you're seeing. That way you're not just stuck in your dorm. Because, uh, right. I mean, I know working from home, I was stuck at home uh, for a few months, not being able to leave or anything. So I know right. the struggle. We all know um, what they're going through now. So honestly, just being intentional and, and being there and being open for them to them. Um, I think that's what's made that connection already so soon. Mm -hmm. um, I believe our first meeting was like mid-October or mid-August, I'm sorry, uh, was our very first meeting with them. Um, and we've grown together and, and as a close-knit group because of that, because we all feel comfortable and being vulnerable with, the, with each other. Um, and it's created great, um, already great rewards. Uh, we were uh, highlighted whenever UNT received a diversity and inclusion award. So they included our program that's literally been on campus for a month and a half um, on that. So just just being able to show them that, that look, yes, you guys are already making an impact. Just keep right. going. Um, you guys aren't. And, and the other thing that I tell them whenever they wear, we have a, a, a polo that says Land Dreams. Um, whenever you're wearing that polo, you're not just representing yourself. You're representing the university. You're representing your family. You're representing the group. So carry yourself to the standard that people are going to be talking about us in a good way whenever they see that green Latin dreams polo. Mm -hmm. I want them talking. That's exactly what I want. I want them saying, yes, that I had a Latin dreams guy in my class, not because they're bad or because they're bad influence, but right. because they're already making an impact at the university with a month and a half that they've been on campus and not even had an opportunity to meet face to face uh, as a group together. So mm. it's huge for them. And, and I've seen it uh, whenever I, I, I tell them these little uh, things that, hey, we're getting recognized by this office. We're getting noticed by their, like their faces just light up. It, it, it's awesome. Like it, I love to see that. And that's why I always tell them whenever we get on Zoom calls, I'm like, y'all better turn y'all's cameras on because I want to <laughs> see those beautiful faces. That's, they, they laugh at me and stuff, but hey, yeah. that's exactly what it is. <laughs> just being there for them and, and I'm not, it's not always going to be serious talk. We right. can have fun and I'm going to have fun with them. I mean, they're two, three, maybe four years younger than me at the most. <laughs> so 
was just there and to, to talk and me guide them to whatever they, they have to go through. Yeah, that's so important to make it fun and the turning cameras on is so important. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think that builds the community and builds the uh, rapport and the intentionality behind it. Um, there are two, two things right from that conversation about um, how do you get yourself out of feeling like you need to drop out or you don't belong, right? Like you mentioned, these institutions and these systems were not created for people like us to be in them, right? So if we have a seat at the table, or if we broke down a door to be in there, um, how do we carry ourselves? How do we represent our people? And um, I think this is where history comes into place. It's like, we have to understand that uh, this we are on indigenous land, right? We are on uh, sacred spaces that um, we're taken from the original peoples of this land. So in essence, they really don't belong, right? So why are we feeling imposter syndrome if mm -hmm. maybe our ancestors were the first people of this land? So I think imposter syndrome is such an interesting duality because um, the way colonialism works, right? The way our colonial uh, industrial mindset um, has trained us to believe that we don't belong uh, when in fact we really do belong and we're reclaiming mm -hmm. these spaces. Um, and meant, so three things, right? So one, uh, how do we navigate imposter syndrome? And this is interesting because after you graduate college, it's not like it, poof, it disappears. It's not mm -hmm. like poof, first generation stops existing. Like you're still a first gen navigating uh, the workforce and imposter syndrome. It's just a whole other level of understanding and navigating. Um, and number two, mentorship and the importance of having a mentor and really seeking out an intentional relationship and community of people who know what you're going through and can help you through that process. And then number three, is really knowing who you are and what you want to accomplish in these spaces, right? So, and oh, number four, another thing was the conference experience, right? Having these these experiences in college to build your communication skills, your personable skills, your interpersonal skills um, is so, so important. And it goes back to this mindset of we, we do belong, we do have the skill set. It's a matter of kind of unearthing that power within us that already exists. Um, and that comes through mentorship, that comes through therapy, that comes through knowing who we are as a community to then have the power to reclaim spaces, I think, mm -hmm. is really what we're doing in these institutions is, and in the world is we're reclaiming spaces that um, were really taken. For sure. Yeah, no, I think for me, you hit it on, on hit the nail on the head, um, especially just opening up uh, is, is huge. I never saw myself in higher education. Mm -hmm. um, I, I did psychology and criminal justice for my undergrad. Um, so originally my goal was uh, like most little kids that end up watching Criminal Minds, uh, <laughs> become an FBI agent. That, that was my goal or a police officer. That, that, that's what I grew up with once yeah. I understood that no, you can't be an FBI agent. You can't be a police officer because mm -hmm. you're not a citizen. Um, that again, it, it it hit me hard in college. I'm like, well, then what am I doing here? What am I doing getting a psychology and criminal justice degree? If I'm not going to be able to use it, I'm not going to be able to put it to good use in whatever I want to do. 
but yeah, just the mentorship, being able to be at conferences where I see these guys in higher education, I'm like, hmm, that that might be that might be a good way to go. And honestly, I didn't even fully get into this field or really grab the grasp that I wouldn't wanted to be here till I graduated. Um, I had applied for this position as an admissions counselor in May, uh, which was technically whenever I walked the stage, um, but I failed the class my senior year. So I didn't end up get graduating till, till August. Uh, but the university, um, Tarleton State University wanted me, even though I hadn't graduated. Mm -hmm. um, I told them like, hey, I haven't graduated. I still need a few more months. Uh, they're like, oh, no, 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 come, come, come over. We'll, we'll take care of it. Don't worry about it. You don't need your degree. Um, and yeah, I got there because um, that was the job that I needed. I mean, that they were going to be paying me full time. I was going to be a staff member. Uh, so I took it, not even knowing what it was going to entail. Right. Um, so I moved to Waco and that's whenever I started uh, becoming more involved in higher education. And yeah, I mean, six months later, um, I got the opportunity down here at UNT. And that's whenever it hit me, I'm like, okay, this is exactly what I want to do. This is exactly what I, where I want to be. And whenever I got here to UNT, that's why I'm like, all right, if I want to keep going, keep going up um, on the ranks at any university, whether it be here or anywhere else, I need that master's degree right. in higher education because of my background. It's not, my background's not in education. Mm -hmm. It's in psychology and criminal justice. So I need to be able to, to understand everything that's going on in higher education. And I'm still learning. Um, I still have mentors uh, everywhere right now with everything that I've been doing with, with the little conferences that I've attended, with the positions that I've taken. I have mentors all over the place. Mm -hmm. And I think whenever I came to the university at UNT, um, what made me get rid of that imposter syndrome, I guess, was coming into a space where my director looks like me. He's a Hispanic male. Mm -hmm. My other coordinator, the other coordinator in the office, she's a uh, African-American female in that space. Mm -hmm. Most of the people that we work with in the different offices look like us. Mm -hmm. um, so coming into that group already where they had already created uh, like a little family, I guess, at the university. And then they bring me, bringing me in along to, the, to that and just making me feel at home was what made me change the imposter student. So yeah, this is where we belong. This is what we're doing. This is where we're going to continue uh, going forward. And the Multicultural Center at UNT has done amazing things already. Um, I know they're we're working on some cool plans for the future. So it's it's been great being here uh, with them. And like I said, they just made me feel at home literally from from the first day that I was on campus. Um, the students, student assistants, welcomed me amazingly. Um, I was able to have some talks with the students during my interviews and stuff like that. And they wanted somebody, um, they wanted, I guess, somebody that looked like them, somebody that had some of those experiences and we're here now and, and, and we're making it. So, yeah, I think just being able to feel at home and feel like you belong to something mm -hmm. uh, is what's going to help change that imposter syndrome once we get into the workforce. Yeah, absolutely. Belonging and finding your people and your community. I love the story of this career um, journey, right? Because you started with a major and an idea of what you wanted. And then life was like, wait, just kidding. This might not work. So how did you pivot? How did you find something else? I think that's 
something that students don't think about. They're like, oh my God, like I have to do this. This is my dream since I was five. I mean, if that's your dream, do it, go for it. But if mm -hmm. you realize that you don't love it anymore, that's okay to pivot. Yeah. I was also a psych major and I was gonna, well, I studied psychology and Spanish with a minor in educational studies. And I wanted originally become a licensed uh, psycho psychiatrist, right? And then throughout the years, I realized, no, that's not where I want to be. That's mm. not the direct intention, one-on-one -on -one work that I want to do. And uh, I did spend, I taught Spanish first and then transitioned to higher ed. But what I loved about working with students is that one-on-one -on -one advising portion that's more holistic and not just mm -hmm. kind of like a coaching session, right? You're taking them from point A to point B and navigating um, their life situation in that moment. Um, and that's what part I really like. So if you're listening to this, and even if you're a young professional, and you realize you're in a career spot that you don't like or that you're just not feeling anymore it's okay to change it's okay to kind of transition to a new step and try something else um i think is something that we don't really talk about a lot um i think in the larger narrative of higher ed um mm -hmm. or students who want to change from like pre-med to like art or something like that's a scary transition um, if their whole lives they thought they were going to become doctors and then realize they hate organic chemistry and they just like can't do it so that's okay yep. yep it's very much okay to change your mind uh yeah. once you get to it um because like for me now it's i'm putting 17 sometimes even or 12 14 15 16 17 hours or uh, a day because i love it um i don't feel like i'm working uh whenever right. i'm doing this I wake up early in the morning because I want to get to the office early, be there, get prepared, get ready for my students, get ready for to tackle the day. Mm -hmm. If you don't feel that drive, if you don't feel that energy, every time you're waking up or every time you're going to work, that's mm -hmm. not where you belong. Uh, yeah. And 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 we go back to belonging. I mean, if no matter how much you're you're getting paid, if it's the best right. job, if you're not happy at the end of the day, you're just making yourself uh, miserable. Like, no matter how much you're getting paid, even if and stuff like that so do what you what you love and if you have to change career paths um there's never a right time to change them i guess we can always i mean you can be into working in higher ed for 10 years yeah. and that's not where you belong change careers you don't have to be stuck in, in that rut just because oh i've been here so long or this is what i always wanted to right um, so yeah, and if you have that discernment to say, hey, wait a minute, I want to figure something else out or do something else, I think it's worth exploring that curiosity and that mm -hmm. next kind of step because why not? I mean, who, who said? There's no rule book to say, like, you have to stay in a job for 50 years until you retire, especially not with millennials and Gen Z. Like, they're just not yeah. going to do that. So um, I think... It's, I think societal pressures play a big role or maybe familial pressure. I don't know everyone's nuanced home life. Um, but I think if you have a yearning deep inside of you to do something else besides what has been prescribed to you or told to you, um, I hope our stories uh, inspire you to find what it is you truly want to do and love to do and move towards that. Absolutely. So what would you tell your younger self um 
about anything, college, life, uh, growing up in the US, uh, uh, what would you tell your younger self um, to kind of navigate the world? Um, gosh, that's a, that's a really hard question. <laughs> um, honestly, I think I would just tell myself to be more open and be willing to be vulnerable. I think that's one of the things that helped me change, uh, just being more open to to criticism and, and being vulnerable in what I was experiencing and what I was going through. Um, I, I've talked and I've done different talks and they've asked me, what would you change? I wouldn't change anything, to be honest, because if any of the experiences that I went through and, and that I experienced uh, wouldn't have put me where I'm at now if I right. hadn't experienced that. But I would be, uh, or I would tell myself to be more open just to, to actually talk about it. Don't just retain uh, what you're going through, be able to to find somebody that you can uh, rely on and just be open, be, be vulnerable and, and just try to help yourself in that way. Um, if you have to struggle through something, don't struggle through it alone. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's, that's huge. Um, not, not going through through whatever the case may be, depression, going through losing a family member or anything like that, don't go through it alone. Because mm -hmm. um, at the end of the day, it's just going to hurt you. And um, yeah, I think just that that's my little the little advice I would give my younger self I love that don't uh, change anything because it's led you to where you are right now so um, if you're listening mm -hmm. and you feel like oh it's it's about not like um, uh, I want to say it in Spanish but uh, like no te machuques or like don't um, be so hard on yourself that you mm -hmm. made like maybe a mistake or something be, or you failed at something because actually that failure or that mistake is kind of a detour in the right direction or a detour to where you need sure. to go and it's about shifting your mindset about what that failure or that mistake might be or might mean um, and like you said don't go at it alone don't go at really hard life situations alone um, and processing really hard emotions alone because you don't have to do that. There are mm -hmm. resources and there are support systems out there. Um, and I love um, to be more open and to be vulnerable and open to feedback and uh, criticism and all those things because if people are doing it from a well-meaning place, that that's because they want to see they want to see you succeed sure. um, and want to see you grow. So I love this chat. We talked from higher ed to mental health to career to um, what would you tell yourself, um, your younger self? Mm -hmm. uh, are there any last pieces of um, nuggets or advice or um, new uh, musings you would like to tell anyone who's listening? Ooh, I mean, we, I guess we could go all day, honestly. <laughs> yeah. um, with, with everything that I've gone through. Uh, yes. We could go all day, but now yeah. I think that's that's one of the bigger bigger things. Just be open and be vulnerable. Uh, be willing, be willing to change, because um, no matter how many mistakes we make, we have to learn from those mistakes. So if we would have right. never made those mistakes, if we would have changed that, the outcome would have been completely different. Um, and yeah, I mean, be be willing to to change and just be yourself. Honestly, I think that's that's huge and. For me, that's what I try to convey now uh, whenever I do speak or whenever I do a uh, keynote presentation. It's just being open and being willing uh, to learn and to continue to learn. I mean, we're, we're never going to be perfect. We're never going to be 
uh, know everything and, and just anything that comes your way, deal with it the best way that you can and don't ever go through it alone. Yeah, I love that. So if you're listening, make sure you look to who your resources are, look for the support and the uh, people that are gonna help you go from point A to point B, uh, be open, be vulnerable. And stay tuned for a part two with Cesar because we're probably going to do this in Spanish. So you can share this with your parents or your abuelas, yes. abuelos, so they can hear uh, what the lived experience is like, but in Espanol, so, so they can really, really understand it. Because I know my abuela would love to hear what we're talking about, uh, but it has to be in Spanish. So we're going to be uh, mindful and inclusive about that. So make sure you uh, look out for that chat, but in Espanol. So mm -hmm. thank you so much, Cesar, for connecting with me today. If you want to chat with him, if you want to connect with him, if any parts of his story really, really resonated with you and you just want more, you want a coffee chat with him, I will drop his LinkedIn and his Facebook and his connection um, below in the show notes and on social media. It'll be on my website. It'll be everywhere, um, wherever you hear podcasts or it'll be on the YouTube channel as well. So you can find him through any of those channels. Um, and if you uh, can't get in touch with him, let me know and we will make sure you chat. Um, he's a great mentor, a great uh, resource for you, especially Latino men, if you're listening. Um, he's someone to really get connected with. So thank you so much, Cesar. I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with me today. No, thank you. I appreciate you having me. It's it's been an honor. It's been it's always a pleasure to to talk and be able to help our younger students. Awesome. Until next time. Wow, my friends, we made it to the end of another amazing episode. If you enjoyed this episode and learned something, please make sure that you rate, review, subscribe, and let us know your biggest takeaway from today's episode and comment commentary on your biggest learning. If you would like more information about the person that I interviewed and the guest, make sure you check out the show notes where all the information will be there on how to reach them, learn more about their work, and if you would like to work with me, uh, please check out the website www.deliciaalarcon.com slash services. And that's where you will learn how we can work together. You can add me on Instagram, Delicia D. Alarcon, where we can chat and connect that way as well. So I hope you enjoyed this episode and cheers to the next one. Again, I'm Delicia, your host for College and Career Coffee Chats or your resident hype dia. Until next time, my friends, cheers. <laughs>